The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Imposter Syndrome. What is it? Why does it happen? And why does it feel so awful? Well, imposter syndrome is something that happens uh, when you feel like the thing that you're trained to do, the thing that you've been doing for years, you're not actually one of those people. Like, for example, uh, if you if you're a graphic design professional and you feel like I'm not an artist. Yes, you are. You're literally doing art every day. You're making art every day. Uh, So, but it's, (laughs) the problem is that in our world, we interact with other people and sometimes those other people make us feel crummy. Or if we're being honest, we would admit that we can make ourselves feel very crummy. Uh, And so I've been struggling this last week with imposter syndrome I finally finished what I th- I finally finished fixing uh, some issues with Write the Perfect Read the Fiction Edition, and I updated the free worksheets, which look better than ever and are better than ever. And I went ahead and added a bonus chapter, and I've been recording the audiobook version of it. And when I first re-released it. Uh, it messed with the al- with the algorithm that Amazon uses, and the book sales went down to zero. And I was like, "But the cover's so pretty now, and the inside is so nice, and the worksheets, which are free, are awesome, even more awesome than before." But the thing is, uh, I shouldn't d- define whether or not I'm a writer or an editor or a teacher based on how many book sales I get in a day. But see, there are other people that I'm interacting with. And this is the simple truth that we all have to remember when we're feeling imposter syndrome, that no matter how good you or I am at our jobs, there will always be people who say or think that we aren't good enough. That is just the reality of our existence on this planet Earth, in a professional realm. And you need to find a way, I need to find a way, to deal with this very real fact and still be able to keep going. There will be people who come to you and say, you did that wrong, or this isn't good enough, or I didn't like how you did this. And you have to be able to keep going. And we've talked before on the Expensive Word podcast about how if you're a creative person, that means you feel things more deeply. And so I think that it's easy for us to feel imposter syndrome more so than other, you know, professionals. For example, 
you might have an accountant. They do math. They, <laughs> there is a very concrete set of skills they have to do. And at the end, if the book is balanced, then they've done their job. But it's not that easy to qualify uh, creative industries that way. We can't look at a painting and say, did the painter, did the artist do their job when they painted this? Because it's more subjective. When you add up math, it's either right or it's or it's wrong. And it's there's no gray. It's black and white. Of course, there are levels of which, uh, there are levels of competency, right? So some accountants are better than others and some break down things for you in a better way. My accountant is the best. I will gladly pay him $750 every year for the rest of my life because he balances our different businesses, uh, our personal income, our different (laughs) real estate investments. I mean, he does so much. And when he gives us our breakdown and everything, it's beautiful. To me, it's a work of art because... My brain can't handle all that. I prepare everything for him, and that's as far as I can go. You know, like, I give him fun little graphs and things. I work hard so that his job isn't insane. But, you know, I will gladly pay him. Uh, I I would pay him even more. I would pay him even more. I hope he doesn't listen to this because he'll raise his prices, which he should be doing every year anyway because that's a good business practice because of cost of living. However, uh, you know, so it's not like that for the creative community and you know people are not saying I would pay even more for that book because that's so valuable in my life it's not the same sort of system and when you're in a service-based or product-based business uh, sometimes it feels like every customer opinion matters but really you cannot please everyone it is impossible so uh I signed up to get to do a review exchange for Write the Perfect Read the Fiction Edition. And I talk about uh, I talk I talk about this process in Write This Way and how this process helps me get really good feedback. Uh, and the other thing that it does though is it kind of drives me insane because uh, yesterday we got in a review for Write the Perfect Read the Fiction Edition, and the person who reviewed it was They had like two big complaints, right? They gave it a four-star review, but they had two big complaints. The first complaint was that we pitch our editing business in the book, which, by the way, is like two paragraphs long in a uh, 45,000-word book. So, no, I don't feel bad about that. Also, how can you get customers and clients if you don't tell them that you offer a service? So I could disregard that part of it because, personally... I'd rather have people be offended than not make the pitch because I operate a business. I'm a business owner. And also, like, one of my biggest thrills in life is to help authors make their book amazing, to write the story of their heart and have it be the thing they want and have it do the things it wants and accomplish all those goals for the characters and the book and for themselves. So I'm super passionate about that, and I want people to know, hey, I'm here I'm also a certified copy editor. I'm a developmental editor. I can help you get your book to where you want it to go. That's my job. That's a service that I offer. And then the second complaint she had was that there were editorial mistakes in the book. And I cannot 
tell you how insane that makes me feel because <laughs> I have worked so hard to get everything to where it is. Uh, right now, I'm going through the process of the audiobook narration. And in that process, which I've talked about on this show, I always find the last few mistakes because when you're reading it aloud and you can't read anymore because something is missing or something extra is there, you notice it. And so what I do is I read uh, off my iPad and I have a PDF and I use my Apple Pencil. And uh, this is not an Apple promotion, by the way, but I do love my Apple Pencil. I do love my iPad Pro. I use it every day. And um, I circle the thing that needs to be changed. I make the note and then... When I'm finished with that chapter, I go change it in the actual Kindle and I update it. So there shouldn't be any major mistakes left, but this is the thing. And this is what's driving me crazy that I have to kind of rein myself in about. There are always going to be people who say that you've made a mistake, even if you haven't, because editing is subjective. And I know you don't want to hear that. You want to hear me say, I will make your book perfect so that every person agrees with it forever. No, that's not how it works. For example, there are rules. I'm using scare quotes here, which, by the way, are the official name of air quotes, in case you were wondering. Like, if you see something and it has the quotes around it to uh, emphasize that it's not true, those are called scare quotes. And see, I know this because I'm a copy editor. I'm a certified copy editor. But... There are, there are rules, right, in scare quotes that aren't rules at all. For example, you should never put a preposition at the end of a sentence. That's not a rule. That's not real. Uh, you should never use a split infinitive. That rule, scare quotes again, was created by Latin enthusiasts who want to make English be Latin. Listen, English cannot be Latin. English is English and Latin is Latin. So a split infinitive is not a mistake. And actually, a lot of times, it can be a great way to share concise information with the reader. So I have no idea what this person, this reviewer is talking about when they say that there are editorial mistakes. I know that there are choices that I make stylistically that maybe she doesn't agree with. I know that I use split infinitives, and I put prepositions at the end of sentences. And if she's a prescriptionist, she will not like that. And she will say that I'm making a mistake. Does that mean that I've actually made a mistake? No. You know what I have made? A choice. And there's a difference between making a mistake and making a choice. And I just skipped over some of my notes here. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, once you make a choice, you have to stick with it. And um, I found another fun uh, critique partner through a writing group this week, and we were critiquing each other's stuff, and she was looking over story filters, and she said, so you shouldn't ever use redundancies like remember when. And she's all, I know that this is, some people find this useful when they're teaching, but since your point is that you should filter everything through these story filters, you shouldn't do it in this work. And so uh, I thought about it, and I was thinking, what is the goal of story filters? Is the goal of story filters to use story filters on every single word? No, that's not the goal. The goal of story filters is to teach another writer how to use them. And so I'm not in this mode of uh, creating the most concise thing ever, which it is very concise, by the way, and she did note that. But I am not going to take out the teaching mechanisms that I use to help readers remember things. 
And that's something that uh, Maria and I go back and forth about because she's like, are you sure you want to mention this again? And I say, yes, I always want to mention anything really important twice. I won't mention it right next to each other. But the reason I'm doing that is to help the reader with retention, because I assume that someone who is reading one of my nonfiction books is trying to learn how to be a better writer. And so the best thing I can do for them is to use these tools as a teacher that I know they work so that the person can remember the things they need for the next time they sit down to have a writing session. So that's a stylistic choice that I'm making. And uh, some readers may see that as redundancy and that might irritate them. But I don't care because it's in the vein of helping people remember the important things. And also, we know that in marketing, right, even though uh, that one person said that, oh, you, you, this was offensive that they marketed themselves to me. We know in marketing that people don't even act until they've heard something or seen something five times. So I'm being really conservative uh, in my writing in that I only do two times uh, for marketing things. If I do two, a lot of times I'll only do one because I'm trying to balance those ideas between selling and teaching. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to sell people so that I can teach them more stuff because I want their stories to be amazing. My whole goal in creating literary symmetry and the Academy of Storytelling is to make the world a better place one story at a time. And so I'm thinking about that. Just like when you're working on a project, you're thinking about the goal of your story and the goal of your characters. But when we have all these outside influences coming in and uh, shape, trying to shape the way that we do our thing, it causes imposter syndrome and we think, I'm not really good at what I do or I can't, I'm not an editor. You know, I, this morning I was like, you are a certified copy editor. You went through a year of a really intense program so that you could learn how to do this. You can do it. And also you can write. So I've been trying to write fiction every day because it just makes me feel better. It's like coming home for me when I'm feeling overwhelmed with all this course creation and these other things. I can go to my story. I can write about Tyler. And right now I'm writing about him and a squirrel. And it's awesome. And I love it. And I can remember who I am as a person. And I think that's one of the things uh, that helps fight imposter syndrome is we can remember that we are more than what our job is. We're so much more. Uh, for me, you know, I have my husband and my kids. My family's so important to me. Uh, I have all these projects that I'm working on. I make soap. I made soap this week. That's that's one of my coping mechanisms is because making soap is something physical I can do. And at the end of it, I have something I can use and it smells so good. And this was literally the best batch I have ever made. And it was so therapeutic for me. And um, yeah, I, I every time I use it, I love it. So you have to figure out what grounds you and who you are and what can you do to remind yourself of that when you're feeling like an imposter, when someone has told you you've made editorial mistakes and you're like, well, I don't know if that's true. Uh, I've gone through this so many times. Obviously, for the next project, Marie and I are hiring a copy editor to edit our stuff because we can't edit ourselves anymore. It's making me too crazy. I'm too invested uh, in the editing in this case. And Maria was talking to me this morning. She was trying to give me a pep talk 
before she rushed out to work because she also works as an English tutor in addition to working for Literary Symmetry and writing books. Uh, And so she was like, you know what? You have to remember that just because someone says something doesn't mean that you're not who you are. And also, this is proof of why people need copy editors who are not themselves because self-editing at this level is too difficult. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's what we tell everybody, isn't it? And also, we're not going to try to do that anymore ourselves. Like, we need to hire a proofreader. Uh, Even if we're going to go back and forth and copy edit, we need a proofreader at the end who can be like, look, this word is wrong or da-da-da-da-da because of mistake blindness, which is, by the way, when your brain automatically puts the correct word into the thing you're reading because you've read it so many times, your brain knows what the right thing is, and you literally cannot see the mistake. That is why it's called mistake blindness. So what, what can I do? I have to remind myself that it's easy to see 64-star reviews, which is great. If you have that, that is great. Well done. And then see the two two-star reviews and obsess over them. Don't do that. I'm telling you and I'm telling myself, right? It's this polarizing effect. The same thing that makes someone hate you can make someone else love you. And remember, you can't please everyone. That's impossible. So we have to get to the point where we can say, I've made this choice. I've done my best. That's all anyone can do, including me. And that has to be enough. And so that's where I'm at today. I'm done obsessing over this stuff. I'm done uh, being bummed out about the Amazon algorithm. I have no control over that. I have done my best. Maria has done her best. I believe that our book will help a lot of writers. Um, And, you know, uh, one of the reviewers compared us to Joanna Penn. I will take that for sure. The same reviewer also compared us to Chandler Bolt. Uh, And I'm not the biggest fan of Chandler Bolt. At some point, I'm going to do a whole episode about him and self-publishing school because I was a self-publishing school student, and there were so many holes in the program. There was so many shady things that happened, uh, not to me, but to other people. Well, yeah, and to me. So I want to talk about that, but I'll take the comparison because I know that whatever else Chandler Bolt is doing, he cares about helping people. That's very apparent. He's just not doing that great of a job, in my opinion. And also, Joanna Penn is like, ah, you know, she's really good at what she does. And she helps lots of authors. So, you know, the thing, the gimmicky thing or whatever that lady said about me marketing our services that she hated, someone else liked because they compared our book to something that Chandler Bolt or Joanna Penn would have written. And they, uh, you know, they also offer courses and books and services And so it's just the same thing made one person hate me and made the other person love me. And that's going to happen, but you can't wish, you can't be wishy-washy and go back and forth. Make your choice, stick to it, do your best, and trust that that is enough. This is the only way to overcome imposter syndrome and get closer to being able to use expensive words which make you vulnerable so that you can impact a reader's life with 
the story of your heart. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>